baby, what time is it? <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back to MMA Fancast. As you just heard, we are MMA Fancast. My name is Jim Mooney. My podcast partner is Luke Payson. So over the course of the past, uh, let's say three, maybe four podcasts, we've gotten into different uh, topics and different areas that, uh, that affect MMA. And one of those things has been the mental side of the fight game and talking to fighters and what they experience when they are in in the in the cage in the octagon in the ring how they approach a fight and what they do afterwards and does reviewing a, a fight or you know one that they've been through maybe an upcoming opponent what do they take away from that experience for their next fight but basically it's been the mental side of the fight game so we are sort of continuing that here um, with this podcast. We have a special guest with us, John DePatry. He is actually better known as Johnny Pipewrench, um, MMA fighter. He's fought at middleweight. I believe um, most of his fights uh, may have been at lightweight. But Johnny's got uh, a story that that can definitely help all of us. You know, we've all got different things that um, that we latch on to for uh, better or worse. And I think listening to Johnny and some of the things that he's going to um, have the same reveal for us tonight are definitely going to help somebody out there listening. With that, I'm going to turn it over to Luke, and, uh, and we're going to get to some questions with Johnny. Absolutely. Well, welcome to the podcast, Johnny. Thanks for being here. Can you hear us? Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Well, welcome. Welcome. Um, one of the things that, we'll, that we always try to ask is, what got you into MMA? We want to get to sort of your journey of life that's more important than MMA, something that Jim and I bring up a lot. We talked to uh, recently Tony Bradley. We talked about why some people turn to performance in drugs and how it can deal with a lack of acceptance in their lives. And so we're going to be talking a lot about acceptance in your life journey. But back in 2012, you had an MMA debut. What led you up? It was a victory, um, a rear naked choke submission. What led you into MMA? What your what was your sports background? What got you up to that fight, your debut fight? Um, my sports background, like I was always athletic. I was, um, you know, involved with baseball, hockey, football. I played a little bit of basketball, but it wasn't really my thing. Um, you know, coming out of high school, and then I got into skateboarding a lot, and um, started. Uh, I was just hanging out with like a lot of um, pretty rowdy kids, and. Um, I got into doing jiu-jitsu, and I absolutely just fell in love with doing jiu-jitsu. And, you know, I always liked to fight. So, you know, when my instructor asked me, like, yo, do you want to do cage fights? I was like, yeah. So, I mean, coming up to that fight, that first fight, I mean, um, you know, everything was uh, 
was pretty good. And, um, you know, I was confident in everything. And, uh, you know, it went well for me. Yeah, it did. I mean, obviously, it's, it's been seven years, uh, right around seven years now. But um, what, what can you remember from that fight as far as the emotions going into it and then also getting a win and getting a stoppage win? We continue to hear from our fighters that we interview that the majority of fighters really like a tap out, getting somebody to submit because they know that in that moment their opponent was defeated and said, hey, I need to get out of here. And obviously that's what happened. So what were your emotions like pre and post that, that debut fight for you? Um, well, naturally, I mean, I was pretty nervous. Um, I think everybody is beforehand. But, um, you know, just uh, just going in there, like I said, I was confident in my abilities and I was just like, the adrenaline was just pumping, man. I was just, I was totally, you know, feeding off of the adrenaline rush and everything and getting in there. And, um, you know, I, I knew uh, the kid I was fighting, he had like a, uh, a heavier boxing background than I did. And I knew I didn't want to stand with him. So um, when we came out after, right at the bell, I, I like tried to kick him or something and he smashed me in the face so hard. And he gave me one of the nicest black eyes I have ever had. But right after that, like, I kind of finished the takedown, but he wound up on top of me. And um, I think he went, or no, he, um, he tried to choke me first, but I got out of it. Then when we were on the ground, you know, I started just, you know, I got on top of him. I started baiting him a little bit to get him to move a little bit where I wanted him to. And then uh, as soon as I started the spot, I, um, you know, I took his back and, you know, he, he tried to get it, like, run away from me on the first one. But then, um, you know, I grabbed him again and I locked him up so he couldn't get out. I slipped in the left arm and, and just locked it up. I got the tap. You know, feeling that win was awesome, man. Like, you could see in the video of the fight, like, I was absolutely hyped after one. Yeah, and, and that's the exciting part. You know, one of the reasons why people do MMA very challenging. There's a lot of emotional and physical damage that can come out of fighting. But obviously, that that exhilaration, that natural high of winning, and uh, the adrenaline, all that is beautiful. And what we're going to talk about now, Johnny, is how that win that was such an incredible experience for you led directly to a journey that really took you to the lowest point in your life. And so walk us through that. So the, so the fight's over, and I know that you ended up having an injury out of that fight. And uh, so take us into, like, how, how that fight leads you into an injury and then what happened after that. Yeah, so after I won the fight and um, I was celebrating on the weekend, uh, I went home and my, my face started blowing up with a staph infection. Like, my face was getting all puffy right here. I, I thought it was, like, swollen from the fight or something, but um, – no, nah, it, it, it was it was swelling up with a staph infection, and it was like it was starting to get concerning when it was like you know getting really big. So I was like, all right, well, you know, we'll see how it plays out. And um, I went to bed that night, and I woke up at like seven in the morning the next night, the next morning rather, and it was like doubled in size. I had like almost like a looked like I had like a jawbreaker in my mouth or something. So I had this staph infection um, growing in my face, and uh, I started freaking out a little bit. And I was like, you know, I better get to the hospital or something. And, um, you know, I went to my doctor, and he set me up with a bed at a hospital. And I was in the hospital for like a week straight. During that time, I was like in a, an immense amount of pain. So, um, you know, as hospitals do, they feed you painkillers. Mm -hmm. uh, so they were giving me like, uh, you know, Percocets every couple hours. And um, 
for a whole week straight and then I came home and I um I got sent home with like some lower dose uh Vicodin or something but I mean by the time I was already out of there I was physically withdrawing from the uh the pain medicine and um it just basically led into like a long downward spiral because like you know I tried to get off of them this way I tried to get off them that way but then like it just kept going and kept progressing and progressing and progressing and eventually it just like totally ate away at me you know like mentally emotionally like everything just uh, I stopped stopped caring about basically anything man and um you know that kind of consumed my life like during this whole time I I still I still had a couple fights afterwards and um you know during during that time is like I I can't even you know I, I I don't I mean I remember the fights and stuff like that but I mean you know I wasn't in the right state of mind like on these fights and um I was chemically altered yeah. to begin with, but, you know, even before I would get in a cage, I would, um, you know, do something else and, uh, and, and be a little more altered if, if you catch my drift. But, um, you know, coming out of there and going through this, you know, like I said, it just kept progressing and eventually like, you know, I just kept losing weight and getting skinnier and weaker. And it was just, it was, it was like totally eating me alive. And, um, you know, things got really bad. It's got real bad, and um, you know, there's a there's a bunch of things that that like you know I don't I don't like to talk about. You know, it uh, it eventually led me up to like a point where I was ready to take my own life. You know, I'll never forget that feeling. That was one of the most horrible feelings I've ever had. And it was like just like you could feel like darkness. You know, mm. like it's over. Like and um, you know, I I don't I really don't know how I would have ever got out of that by myself. You know what I'm saying? I, um, I actually had somebody, somebody came and got me out of where I was and he took me to a place and, um, you know, it, uh, <laughs> it was a wild, it was definitely a wild ride. Man. You know, I got into a place and, um, I got, uh, I got sober there and, um, you know, I worked on myself for a little while and I still wanted to fight. So, um, it was about like, about a year ago, I had another fight, and it was honestly probably like one of the one of the few fights that I had that was a hundred percent sober. Yeah. And I gained a lot of weight. I went up in weight, and uh, I think I forget if it was one. I think it was like one seventy five. We met at or something like that. And um, you know, a month and a half beforehand, I was all the way up to like I think I think close to one ninety. So. I had to cut a lot of weight for the fight, but you know, I was really, um, I was really dedicated to it. Like I really wanted to do this, and um, and uh, it, it was uh, it was really hard training for the fight. Um, I came in and um, I won the fight on uh, a decision. Um, you know, uh, it was a lot of like just back and forth like we we never really like connected real good with any punches or anything i got him a couple times um i think i went to hit, hit him one time and um he like went to kick me or something and i bent down and he cracked me with his knee right in my head and it was um it was scary too because uh i got this scar right above yeah. my eye. it was about like 
I think three weeks beforehand, I got my head fully cracked open at a, uh, a concert and um, it healed up really well. And um, that was just scary because like at that moment when I, you know, I felt like a hard connection like that, I thought it split right back open. Yeah. And, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> it was definitely scary, but um, yeah, I, I knew I wasn't bleeding. And then um, I was like, all right, I'm all right. So we kept fighting and, um, you know, I, I had a lot of submission attempts on them. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, like the fight went really well. and. Um, you know, I was glad I was able to come out of, you know, what I'd been through and come back and get in the cage and still, you know, get that win, you know. And that one that one probably meant the most to me out of any fight I had. It's not so much just winning the physical fight. It was, it was more like, you know, winning the mental battle through what I've been through. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons why we really wanted to get you on. And... Because one of the things that can happen with fans, uh, particularly if we're talking about fans of athletes that they follow, uh, we want to see athletes fight, but we don't, or play sports, whatever the sport is, but we don't always understand what their life entails outside of that. One of the reasons why we got on mental health stuff a couple shows ago is we were talking about Ronda Rousey, and she has a documented history of, of suicidality and, and some other emotional depression issues and stuff and she's been pretty open about that over the time and she was we were talking about a quote that she said that she's feeling so much less stressed now because of the pressure of being champ pressure of having to defend it but getting back to what i was saying about fans i think sometimes people could go and support you like you, you had three fights after your first fight uh when you were obviously struggling like you said you were chemically altered and i bet a lot of people were still there to support you and encourage you and Oh, Johnny, but they don't really, you know, you, they don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. And I think that's one of the main things about mental health and substance abuse issues is, is uh, to get to get honest, right, and to get open and to have an awareness because denial is a powerful thing. It's not just a powerful thing for the person in the struggle like you were, but it's also a big deal if you think about being a fan. A lot of fans deny that their favorite fighters have issues, you know, whether it's an obvious. Uh, performance enhancing issue if you think back to the overream days you know where he was jacked on his mind and everybody wanted to think that was just from horse meat but obviously it wasn't you know you're laughing um but yeah i think it's a big deal that as we do this show we want to encourage people to recognize that people have lives and that life the quality of that life matters so much more than they're fighting the last guy i really remember bringing up mental health was when george st pierre retired the first time, I guess you could say, the hiatus after he almost lost to, to Johnny um, Hendricks, he actually said that he had been going to counseling, dealing with the anxiety and the pressure of the fight game and being this dominant champion, that the counselor recommended that he take a break, and he did for three and a half, four years, you know. And I remember at the time, Dana White, who does not get a lot of love on this show and won't tonight either, I remember Dana White kind of poo-pooing that idea. Why would the greatest – GSP is one of the greatest, I would say, probably the greatest, top three greatest fighters ever in UFC history. And obviously Dana wants to make money. And, and so I think whether it's you talking about this now or whether it's GSP bringing up, hey, emotionally, I don't need fighting. I'd rather be happy and healthy. Um, and that's what you're talking about. So what was your 
your your healthy road. What you, you said, somebody came and got you that night that you were really low, got you into a program, got you into an environment. And so, what kind of became? Because because we want to talk about the, the recovery journey, just like if you had torn your ACL and we had you on talking about the therapy that you had to do to get back. What were some of the key components? And obviously, you don't have to mention everything. I understand that, but what were some of the key components of the recovery process for you? Okay, so one of the hardest things that um, I had to basically overcome is um, believing in a, in a power greater than myself, uh, a higher power, a God, if you want to call it that. Yeah, whatever it is. I mean, I had a huge problem with religion growing up. Um, I, you know, claimed to be a strong atheist my entire life almost. And, um, you know, uh, it was just, um, it was something hard to uh, connect to, uh, per se. I mean, I, I don't really know how to explain that. Like, it was just, it was difficult for me to do that. I know a lot of people can relate to that, but, um, you know, uh, this is something I had to do to, you know, just work the program that was given to me. So, I mean, to the purpose of it is to actually, you know, to have guidance, have direction and live with a purpose, you know? So I, I, I started to, um, you know, use my grandmother as my higher power and, you know, I would pray to her and that, and that worked perfectly for me, man. I mean, I, um, you know, I liked, uh, you know, having that purpose that I lived for her today and, you know, just the everyday guidance of like, you know, what would she want me to do about certain situations and stuff like that. And, um, you know, it worked out pretty well for me. And, um, you know, since then, um, I actually like expanded my spiritual network and I mean, it's still really weird to me, but I mean, I, you know, it's, I could tell you a story, um, about you know this i put my faith in something and um you know i don't really want to talk about this because you know i'm sure everybody thinks i'm already but uh you know uh, <laughs> like roommate was just like yep <laughs> so um i put my faith into something and um i came out and uh i, I sent out a prayer one i prayed for protection you know, things were lighting up like neon signs in front of me that day that everybody needed to get out. But it was like almost actual instructions on how to do everything. It was wild. Um, next day, it was like three days in a row I sent out these prayers. And then the next day, um, something happened with, you know, going through my process of uh, recovery, working with my, my network and everything. Um, just more weird stuff. And then, then the next day, uh, you know, like a job issue. And I sent out a prayer for, you know, help me get some work, help me get some food in the belly and some money in the pockets. And, um, you know, I got blessed with a really good job, you know, and a great guy to work, you know, came with a really big company. So like, it's just, like I said, I mean, it's really weird, but like, honestly, like I'm not, I'm not taking any chances on going back to what I'm doing. So do it. a little weird to stay away from that i'm gonna do it because i'm like i said i'm not taking any chance i'm going back to where where that road was you know what i mean 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, something you pointed out, which is, I would say in many ways, because you've mentioned, uh, well, you've alluded to the 12 steps and, and, and the recovery process a few times. Um, I think one of the, the main purposes of that is a purpose greater and more valuable. Um, it starts off with not picking up. You know, it starts off with get another day clean. But in, in continuous recovery, look towards the end of the 12 steps, the last couple, you start seeing things like giving back and supporting and sharing the message, right? Now, how important is it to you? Because we were talking before, and how, how important is it to you to share your story and reach out and support other people in the uh, recovery process from addiction? Because I think a lot of times the purpose becomes greater than yourself in the sense of how valuable your recovery is, like you were saying. And so what are some of the things that you are doing um, that, that really help you stay connected to the recovery journey? Um, all right. So the last step of the 12 steps is, and, you know, I always notice that that helps me greatly. You know, um, like I said, I mean, I found a home in Kensington, you know, where it's, uh, you know, we got a lot of devastation out here and, you know, a lot of people in recovery are like scared to death to come back down or, or to come here because one of the biggest drug markets on the East coast. And I just don't look at it like that. I mean, I got, there's a ton of people I can help out here. And I mean, when I was, um, when I first created my page, I was down in Delaware having trouble, you know, finding people that I could help. And then, uh, so I was trying to, you know, reach out on the internet and do some things with that. And, um, after leaving Delaware and coming back to Kensington, um, I mean, I, I haven't been doing much with my page. I mean, I really, like, I got my hands full. Like, I could walk out the door right and go help somebody. It's, I mean, it's, it's crazy out here. There's a lot to, there's a lot of people that need help down here. And, um, you know, me alone, my roommate Cole over here, I mean, you know, it's, it's what we do, man. Like, we just, we just, you know, just try to show somebody else how we got out of you know, where we were because there's a lot of people you know, that are stuck in a, you know, it's crazy. You don't, you would think like, um, you know, certain types of people are like the average addict. It's like, you know, I never saw myself as an addict. You know what I'm saying? Like I never saw myself as like some drug addict or something like that. I mean, I grew up playing doing stuff like that. And I mean, if you came down here, you got, you know, grand grandparents getting out of cars, buying stuff. Like, I've seen it with my own eyes. I mean, it's just all kinds of people, not discriminate against anyone. And, you know, that's um, that's something beautiful about the way I can help was because I could relate to a lot of people on different levels. So, I mean, I just do my best, man. Like, that's what I was taught and also helps me stay sober. So, why not? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things you brought up that's really good for our listeners to hear because there is a lot of prejudice against even that term addict. You know, there's a lot of prejudice against the, the type of people we assume become addicts versus the type of people that don't. And um, I, I, I used to work in a rehab environment for five years. And, and obviously what you were hearing is true that anytime we have a judgment about a certain type of person that can't get, I, I counseled a guy who had a PhD from Harvard, which I would say most people, they get a PhD from Harvard, are pretty intelligent. But guess what? Addiction doesn't care about your intelligence. And so I, I think one of the things that you're pointing out that's so valuable 
for our audience to understand is that um, we have to we have to be aware of ourselves and, and some of the signs that lead to it. I think something that you brought up going back to 2012 is, and none of us are medical doctors on this show, but having worked alongside um, in a medical hospital with rehab, I can say that there are a lot of other options than just opiate medications in, in your case. And obviously you didn't know that that was before you had this situation, but there's, there's a lot of growth and awareness in if you go into the hospital for a procedure or for an emergency, maybe have a conversation with a doctor about what you do and don't want to put in your body. And something you were bringing up, which can be really scary, but you said beautiful, which I agree is that addiction hits everybody, grandparents, all nationalities, but that also means that recovery hits everybody at young age. I, I remember the two extremes, the two extremes I remember in my time in, in working closely in, 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 in rehab was we had, we had a client, uh, a former client that would come in and speak and they had gotten like into recovery at I think age 17 and they had about 10 years and they, they'd come in to motivate and encourage and some of the people were like, hey, you know, how do you really know you were an addict you were only using for like five or six years from, you know, 10, 11, 16. They were talking about powerlessness and sort of understanding that it's out of your control for your addiction. And then one of my favorite clients was a guy who from 15 to 72 years old used every day of his life. Kind of like you're talking about how beautiful it is for somebody at a young age or an old age to really change their life and get in recovery because more beautiful than your win your first win or your last win, more beautiful than anybody's job or anybody's any other type of thing is who they are as a person. A lot of what recovery does is it changes your characteristics. It changes who you are as a man or as a woman and, and sort of where your joy comes from. You were talking about you and your roommate now having this this service focus and this this, this opportunity to help others like that. That heart isn't there when you're just focused on getting high another day because you can't you just got to focus on on your own selfishness at that point and i think a lot of recovery is really about growth just as the person first and then obviously how that relates to your to your um addiction recovery so what are some ways as a person um that you've been growing maybe that that's been changing your life and helping you um even even more than just oh i'm getting more clean time because that's great but what are some changes in growth in your life you see in addition to, to the clean time? Um, I mean, I'm becoming a very much more responsible person. You know, I, I take care of, you know, you know, we, uh, I mean, I, I, there's certain things that, you know, I could have done and I decided not to do, you know what I mean? Um, it's just basic, you know, becoming an adult, being, being a responsible human being, being a decent person. And, you know, these are things that I, I seek to improve these things on a daily level anymore because, I mean, it's not so much that, you know, recovery is just about, you know, stop doing drugs, stop doing, stop drinking, stop doing this. You know, it's, it's, it's more like becoming the best version of yourself you can be. Yep. Yeah. You know, so that's that's what I shoot for, man. I mean, I, I'm I'm not, you know, I I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm I'm going to try my best to come as close as I can. You know what I'm saying? And and you know, if I if I shoot at a level that high, um, you know, it's uh, 
whatever level I get to, I'm sure I'll be happy at. You know, and I, and I, I mean, you can't even, I can't even really tell you personally how I'm growing. Like, I can't tell you that because, like, I can't, I can't see it. Like, I mean, I can see it. Like, you know, my boss <laughs> really likes me. Yeah, I'm definitely in the belly right here. <laughs> I'm definitely growing because I really like food now. Um, but you know, I mean, you can, you can talk to my boss. You can talk to my family. You can talk to my roommates. You can talk to my friends. You know that they're the ones that'll show you, you know that, or like tell you how I'm doing different because they're the ones that you know see me doing it. It's like you know I'm just, you know I'm just living my life through this program, and I'm basically just shutting my brain off and staying out of my own way, you know, and following the footsteps of what I was shown, you know. So it's like. Uh, working a working a program and instead of running my own will it, it works out a lot better you know i, I mean I, I live in a beautiful house now i got two roommates that i love we got a bunch of pets that we love you know i got a great job and like i said i mean i constantly help others you know i could call my mom right now i could call my dad right now i could call my sister right now you know i could call any one of my cousins right now and they'd pick up the phone and know that I'm not asking them for money or something like that. Yeah. You know, I got friends that'll call me for, you know, just to say what's up. You know, I mean, you know, I, I got friends I can call that, you know, and it's 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 weird because like anytime I would like look to call somebody on the phone or something back then, it was like, you know, I was just trying to get something out of them or like, you know, help me, you know, let me, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it, it's it wasn't like a friendship type of thing and like, you know, today having like genuine friendships with other people, um, that's one of the the greatest gifts I could have gotten out of, you know, working a program like I did because I mean, like I said before, it was just it was all about me, man. It's just what I wanted when I wanted and that's what I was trying to do. Like if you have what I wanted, I would try my best to get it from you. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, I can call friends and not want nothing from them. I want to see them do good and be happy. You know, and have a genuine friendship with them. Um, I mean, aside from that, dude, I mean, I could tell you one way I've grown drastically is that I'm genuinely happy today. I'm seriously happy. I've never been this happy in my life. Like, I've, I've, I've been close to, you know, how happy I am before, but right now I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. I mean, I would say for people that aren't used to hearing um, stories of people in recovery, I, I really hope what you've shared today gives them a picture of just how beautiful a life can change in recovery. Because I think it's easy when, when you think about Al-Anon and Naranon, you know, family members that have loved ones who are struggling with addiction, it's very easy to just to only look at the bad and not think of, I mean, so many people, if you're from the Philadelphia area, um, and Johnny Pipewrench says that he loves being in Kensington, you're going to think like, what? Because if you're from the Philadelphia area, you only hear bad news about Kensington. The overdose rate is incredibly high and a lot of the issues with the opiate epidemic. But something that I think is so valuable that Johnny pointed out is the real change is where your happiness comes from. You know, who you are as a person, the responsibility, something that you said that relates to MMA or, or any type of training is, you had to stop trying to figure out a way 
to make it work for you. And you're going to listen to, in this case, your sponsors and your mentors in the fight game. It's your coaches. And so much of an athlete's will has to be turned over to their coach because you've seen it, I'm sure, uh, when you were fighting, and I've seen it as a coach, and now that I've broadcasting and stuff, where a fighter could be so much better, but they're always trying to fight their way, and they're never listening to what, you know, their coach or their corner is telling them what to do. And, and I think part of the recovery process is recognizing that your perspective, my perspective, Jim's perspective, is, is only one sliver of a perspective, right? And, and the point of recovery is you get a bigger, wider perspective. Sometimes that's why people like reading the basic text or the big book. Sometimes that's why people like getting involved um, in, in a connected group or a support group of some type because a lot of times the, the journey of recovery is about getting a different perspective than just our one little tiny view, you know? Because I, I've always said, and you probably know this with the denial, that we lie to ourselves before we lie to anybody else because we, we get easily self-deceived, you know? And I think part of the recovery process is being aware and removing that self-deception. Think about you as a fighter. There's times where your coach had to say, Johnny, you're not doing this right. And you could think, I am the greatest person ever at this move, but you'd have to be real. And your coach is going to say, no, you're not you still have to train it. And I remember coaching guys that would say, I don't have to train defense for this move or takedown or this submission because I'm so good at it. And guess how they lost, right? Because the very thing we think we've got and pride really undermines not only our fight game or our recovery, but just our growth as a human. And, and what you said about being a better person and living your best quality person, that's so much more lifelong but the sober dates will continue to add up in your recovery journey but who you are as a person means much more because you and i have probably met in, in if you're familiar with the rooms some of the listeners aren't there's two slogans right a dry drunk and clean and crazy and those are the type of people that they're, they're not using which is a good thing but their attitude hasn't changed so when johnny was saying that in his addiction he saw everybody in a selfish way and if he called you it was for something he needed and he didn't have an honest relationship well there are people that in recovery they're not really working on becoming a better human you know instead it's well i've got 150 clean days but i'm as mean and selfish as i was when i first got clean and what do you think is important about breaking away from just getting clean time you said it's about developing as a person was there something that clicked that helped you get there and, and not become somebody who's clean and crazy? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's the steps, the, the 12 steps. When I got right up about around the, the fourth and fifth step, that's where something turned on, and my life has been different since that day, honestly. Like, you were talking about, you know, dry drunks and being clean and crazy. I, I say this all the time to some of the people, like, you know, that I, I talk to in meetings and stuff, and it's like, you know, you're coming to a 12-step fellowship and not doing the 12 steps. It doesn't really make sense. And you don't have to even be any type of, like, a drug addict or an alcoholic to even do the 12 steps. And yep. The 12 steps is a basic guide for living. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, um, it could help a lot more people than just, you know, people with, uh, you know, addiction problems. And um, that's 
you know, that's what helps um, most of most of the people that I you know, ran into that, you know, have put a lot of time together. They all do that program the best of their ability. And it shows that it pays off drastically. I mean, like I said, man, I'm just, I'm not taking any chances. So, I mean, I jump into that program full swing. And, you know, that's how I, you know, stay clean, man. You know, and help other people and be the best version of myself. Because it shows you that in those books. Yeah. And if you would have told me, you know, back when I was doing dumb, dumb stuff, uh, that like a book would help change my life, I'd be, you know, I'd be like, wow, you're pretty nuts. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I can't really say other anything other than my experience that mm. a book changed my life. <laughs> you know what I mean? So those 12 steps in that book are definitely, you know, a good way to, um, to improve yourself, to change your life if, if need be. You know, it's it's just a great program, and uh, I mean, you know, it's a worldwide known program. I mean, it, it is kept a little hush hush because, uh, you know, with the uh, the stigma of you know addiction and stuff like that. So, like, it is kept under wraps. It is anonymous program for a reason. Um, it's just so we don't get bashed too hard or coming out the other end. But you know, nowadays. Um, in the world we live in today, man, it's like I said, I mean, addiction doesn't discriminate. So there's all kinds of people coming in and out of, you know, these programs. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely changing a lot of things, but, um, I think that's good for it, honestly. And, um, you know, it, it, it's helping to show other people that there is help out there, you know, just to keep, uh, just to keep the hope alive that, you know, you can change your life through, um, through a sim simple set of uh, steps, you know what I'm saying? Hmm. Well said, well said, Johnny. And particularly when you said about how the principles of recovery, the steps of recovery, the recovery journey is actually a human journey. It's not just somebody who's an addict. And I, I, I've actually been to, um, there was a couple of years back, I went to, a, um, it was called the, the mayor's, so mayor mayor celebration of uh, drug and alcohol addiction counseling, something like that. But the mayor wasn't there, but I was in Philadelphia and it was a celebration of people that are in recovery and also that do recovery work. And the keynote speaker said something that you just um, said as well, which he said, we need to stop thinking about the 12 steps as only being helpful for people that are addicted to a chemical. We need to start recognizing that recovery is a lifestyle and is a, human person experience so somebody could be recovering from anger from selfishness from from depression from anxiety and or from just being somebody who doesn't have a purpose you know somebody who's thoughtless or careless and and i think a lot of times what you just shared with us is your experience strength and hope that that way more important than when we interview somebody about just winning a belt and we've had some some champions come on the reality is what what does it matter if you have a championship belt if your life's a mess and you said if you don't have a relationship with the people closest around you if nobody can trust you and i think we always want to have the perspective even though jim and i are big into covering mma we always want to have the perspective and i thank you so much for coming on have perspective that who we are as people matters way more than what we do in a cage or what we do at our job. 
And the relationships you have, the people that can trust you, the people that you help really is your life, you know? And I think if people start looking at it, like you said, that you have a beautiful life because you have roommates that you're honest with and that you can trust your, your family and friends can answer the phone and you're there to help them and they're there to help you. And it's not a selfish endeavor endeavor. And you can actually grow as a person. And, and I, I think we're going to keep following MMA. We're going to keep having fighters on, but, but to me, this is the message that actually matters in life is that every person's life matters. And no matter how dark it gets, whether it's suicidality that you've experienced, whether it's addiction, whether it's abuse or trauma from others, or whether it's a sense of loss of purpose or identity, we probably covered a good amount, but there might be more, that you and I being around recovery have seen that the people that don't have a purpose or identity can find it. You know, the people that, that have been through trauma can find healing. And I think that's so powerful to throw out there, even on an MMA platform, that your life matters more than what you do anywhere else but inside. It's the inside life that matters. So. I really appreciate Johnny. Do you have anything else to kind of leave us with? Because I think this has been so valuable for our listeners to get an understanding because you do come from an MMA background and, and your injury from your fight led directly to kind of that opening that up in your life in, in a, in a bad direction. But I think your story is significant no matter whether or not anybody ever fights in a cage or not, because it's a human story. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, like I said, I mean, I love fighting, man. I mean, it was it was something that, you know, I I I fought, you know, a lot my whole life, and um, it's just uh, coming out the other end of things. It's like you know, I learned not to cause harm anymore, and you know, yeah. I mean, regardless of like street fights and stuff like that, you know, I don't, I haven't been in a street fight in over three years now. So I mean, I've been behaving myself, but. I'm still itching to get back in the cage. I mean, I don't want to say that I don't count me completely out just yet. But um, on the other note that we've talked about today, if anybody out there is struggling with addiction or alcoholism or even just needs somebody to talk to or something like that, you know, you guys can find me on Facebook. My name's Johnny Pipe Wrench. I mean, just look me up. Send me a message, man. I mean, that can help you out if uh, – you know, if you're struggling with addiction, you're in a bad spot or something, you know, I can help you, you know, talk to you or somebody that can talk. So there is hope out there. If, you know, if, if, if up here is all, you know, entangled in a weird way, you know, I mean, you best want to untangle it or seek the help to get that untangled before, you know, you go about your life. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Well, we, Jim and I are both humbled and honored to have somebody with such a purpose and such a value to help others. Um, also, I would say that you can always reach out um, to SAMHSA, which is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Organization in the United States, which has a lot of resources online. I always like to plug them, as well as I usually recommend people use intherooms.com, but there's many websites that if you're looking for an NA, NA any type of, of uh 12-step fellowship. There's a lot of websites that you can plug information in to see where they meet. But as Johnny said, it's really about getting, getting the truth, get, getting those thoughts unscrambled, you know, getting somebody to be able to give you encouragement. Johnny's been very gracious to open this time up. You can look him up on Facebook at Johnny Piperinch. And also he runs a Facebook page called How to Stop Doing Heroin. 
uh, which we're going to put the um, this podcast up on there. And hopefully some people are listening to this, not because of MMA, but are listening to this because of the uh, recovery piece, which would be, would be wonderful. So I'm going to say a special thanks to Johnny for coming on. And we're going to continue to follow your journey um, because who you are as a person matters much more than what you do um, in a cage. And hopefully all of us recognize that we don't want to look at people just as human doings, what they do, but we want to look at humans as human beings, who we are. We always refer to ourselves as a human being because that's important. It, it's what, who are you as a person we should worry about, not what have you done for me lately because that becomes very um, unhealthy mentally. So thanks, Johnny, for, uh, for coming on, and we really um, wish the best for you in your, in your future. And I'm just I'm humbled that you are so focused on helping others and hopefully people do listen to this and reach out to you or get the help they need or even just recognize that they need uh, to get honest with themselves. And so thanks so much for coming on. Um, and we'll say, we'll say um, that's it, Fort Pitt, which is how we end our broadcast. That's it, Fort Pitt. Johnny, thanks so much. Check him out. Check out the resources that we've talked about today. Reach out to um, – you can even reach out to um, MMA FanCast if you'd like, and we'll point you in the right direction as well. But Johnny's been – gracious to open himself up so if you want to reach out to him please do so thanks again john thank you guys thanks for having me